This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. In today's message, we're walking through the book of James. Using this book as a guide, we learn several ways our faith is tested and how God has designed for us to endure. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now, let's take a listen to the message. Book of James. We started last week with James chapter 1, verse number 2. 1, verse 1. And verse 1 basically said, James, servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, greetings, my brethren. Count it all joy, and then he goes into the next part. James, a servant of God, and we talked about how we, our identity, who we are in the world. He was James in the world. He was a servant of God as he related to Christ, and he was a um, connected to the brothers and sisters that were scattered abroad, showed his connection to the church, how he was divinely connected to God's church. So today we are going to continue on in the book of James, and we want to talk about the purpose of testing, the purpose of trials, whatever words you want to use in that. And I want to start it out this way, because when you think about, when you think about life, how do you see it? How do you view it? What is it to you? To me, this is what life is for the Christian. And it's also the same thing for folks in the world, but just on a different level or different scale. If you were to think about what life is all about for us, this is what it is. This is a classroom, okay? We are the students. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. And what he does is he comes in and he teaches us. He speaks to us about something in our lives that may be out line or out of what he shows us something about ourselves and so our responsibility is once he reveals something he shows us something then our responsibility as a student is to go home and do our homework okay so what is my homework my homework is is to take what he showed me and to go home and to hit my knees and to pray and say God help me it is to find the word and a promise that he has made to me and I go home and I start to meditate on that promise so that that thing that he's revealed to me will eventually dissipate from my life. And what happens is, this is what happens, most people don't do their homework. I'm a perfect example of that. I didn't care about homework. I didn't care. I didn't like school, to tell you the truth. I didn't really like school. So, you know, you got people that, that you know, they, they get somebody else to do their homework. They half do their homework, or they don't do their homework at all. What happens to the person that does that? They what? They fail. They actually fail. They don't learn anything. And guess what? They keep on having to take the same test over and over and over and over again. The children of Israel didn't do their homework 
and therefore they were in the wilderness for 40 years, seven miles or 11 miles, which, whichever one it was. Either way, it was too close to take 40 years and not make it. 40 years. If you're going somewhere in, in, in seven miles or 11 miles, and if you just get a couple of days later, or hours later, and you hadn't got there, you might want to stop and check yourself. 40 years and they never made it. We are a people that will not do our homework. And because we don't do our homework, God has to put us in a fire. He's got to put us in a fire because he's trying to get something out of us. There is a purpose for all of this. There's a purpose for it. It's not because he's mean. The same way with, with teachers. It's not because they're mean. You know what? They, it's, a, it's just a process. Everything goes through that process. Everything has to be tested. Everything. Everything you buy has been tested. Everything. We run, we run a thousand and something engines a day, and every one of them is tested. Every one of them. I like the commercial that comes on about uh, Mercedes-Benz. When they put the dummy in the car and they run it into a wall, and the end is going, you can learn a lot from a dummy. I took that slogan and say that about me. You can learn a lot from a dummy. I've ran into the wall a thousand times, and you can learn a lot from a dummy, I'm telling you. And so everything in life is tested. It's the process. It is what it is. So why are we so acting so strange, the Bible says, why do you think it's to be such a strange thing when the, you, you're in a test? When everything is tested. When you eat food, don't you want to know that somebody has tested it? If you didn't grow it yourself, now if you grew it yourself, you trust your own self. But if I eat something, I want to know. I worked in a bakery and therefore I've seen some things and I want to know that it's tested. So why is it that we don't like to be tested? The purpose of testing. The scripture is James 1, 2 through 8. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without fault-finding, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And I want to bag up and I want to go through that again. I want to, I want to look at that again. Because he said, now, when I ask God for something and I doubt, he said, I'm like a wave of the sea. Wave, wave, wave of the seas, okay? So what is the wave of the sea like? Back and forth, 
What else? Up and down. So what it's telling you is, you are, some days you're, some days you're down, if you like a wave of a sea. And then some days you're, you're making progress, some days you're regressing, you're like a, you're like a drunk. You want to know why he don't ever get home? How far you think I'm going to get? That's what happens when we doubt. He said we, he said we, we uh, and, and, and I'm telling you, this is what Christians are like. Man, we got those days as Hallelujah. And then we got these days, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make it. We got those days when, man, we making progress. And then we got those days where we, man, we, we, you look back and we done, went, we done went back 50 steps. Because why? We doubt. And he said, now, now the person that's doubt, that doubts, he should not expect to receive what? Anything. Anything from the Lord, and he said, such a person is double-minded and unstable in what? All that they do. Everything they do. So why would we pray and ask God for something? And you know, we gotta get to the place, the point in our lives where prayer is not just a habit, but it's something that we do out of relationship with God and we believe what he says. I mean, why would you go talk to somebody if you don't believe nothing they say? Why? I mean, there were certain people on, on my job that I didn't want to talk to because I don't believe nothing they say. And I don't want to go talk, I want to talk to somebody else. So why do we talk to God when the truth of the matter is, I don't believe what he say. And how do I know I don't believe what he say? I know because when I get up, based on what I do, determines, by, determines what I believe. If you believe what he say, your whole conversation changes. Your whole mindset changes. Your attitude changes. Your thought process changes. But if you don't believe it, guess what? Nothing changes. You get up saying the same thing you always have said. Well, you know, I prayed about it, but it don't seem like God moving. I don't know what in the world going to come of that, child. I don't know what's going to happen to this or that. Because you doubt. He said, now, when you doubt, you are unstable, and you will not receive anything from God. If you are having trouble in your prayer life, look at that. Look at that. The four things that we should get that testing should produce. Testing first should produce patience, perfection, a want for wisdom, and we should find faith. We should find faith if we, when we go through the test. Now, our, most folks don't like tests. Most of us don't like tests. When, we, when I was in school, I hated, I, hated, I, I could deal with the rest of it because I could sneak by through, through all that. But I'm telling you, you're not going to get past the test. The teacher might not stress over the homework, because she knows she got a plan for you, buddy. 
It's a quiz coming along. And I used to hate those pop quizzes when they just, we're going to have a little small test. I hated those because I hadn't done my homework. So I don't even know what's on. You know what? And the exam, man, I've seen a lot of students just, 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 just stressing over final exams. So this is what we should get, okay? So God builds tests into every part of our lives. Faithfully passing those tests is what God wants. And the devil wants what? He wants you to fail. And guess what? God gives us everything we need to pass the test that he places before us. Everything. I, and, and, and the story that, that stays in my mind is this. I was working at the bakery. I was on third shift. And the, my manager, I was a supervisor, and my manager said, I want you to go out tonight. Tonight, listen to me now, and wash those sidewalks. It was dark. So I'm saying, I mean, you got people working in the daytime. Why do you want us to go out at night and watch sidewalks? Anyway, I'm mad. I mean, like, like Mofo said, 38 hot. Yeah. And so I'm mad. So I said, I told the guys, I said, y'all go ahead and take care of what y'all got to take care of. I'll go out and wash the sidewalks. So I'm out there washing the sidewalks, and I'm mad. I'm fussing. I'm doing everything but cussing, and I thought about it once or twice. So I'm washing the sidewalks, and all of a sudden, in the middle of me washing those sidewalks, God spoke to me. And this is what he said. He said, if you be willing, I think it's Isaiah 119, I believe it is. He said, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And this is what he told me. He said, you're obedient, but you're not willing. <laughs> and, 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 and so what, this is what he was saying. He was saying your obedience is no good when you're not willing. And this is what was so beautiful about it. Here I am in the middle of the test. I wish all my teachers were like God. In the middle of the test, God gave me the answer. In the middle of it. He gives you what you need to pass the test. In the middle of my test, he said, if, you ain't, if, you, if you're unwilling, even though you're obeying, it don't mean nothing. See, we think that because I, I, I did what they told me. With an attitude. Don't mean nothing. He said, he said don't mean nothing. And so God will give you, listen, He'll give you the answers while you're taking the test. How can you fail with that? How can you fail when he's telling you what the answer is? So we just have to choose whether we're going to listen to him or not. We have to make a decision whether we're going to do it or we're going to listen to Satan's lies. Are we going to continue to listen to what the devil say, or are we going to do what God say? And so I want everybody to realize this morning that yeah, God's tests are an opportunity for joy. Man, if you know, if you know that you are going to pass the test, how many, how many folks have went to take a test, and when they went to take it, you were confident? 
I have to look over here, y'all young people, y'all probably been through this sooner, more recent than we have. So how many people, ex I, I was excited, man, because I knew this, man, this is my area of, of expertise. But you know what? You ought to be excited because God in the midst of the test is going to give you everything you need to pass the test. Listen, why are you taking the test? Man, you can't ask for nothing better than that. So, and, and, when, and when we see their real joyful purposes, we want to rejoice in passing the test that God has in store for us. We want to get to the place where, man, we want to be like James. When I first read James a long time ago, I'm going to tell you what I thought. I thought James was crazy. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Really? I'm supposed to be happy about this. But I see what he's saying. Okay, in today's English, the word tempted carries a negative meaning, but the original word carries a whole nother meaning. And the original word carries the meaning of something that is put to the test. Examination. See, tempted is almost like there's good and evil, and I'm being tempted, drawn to the evil. And we could actually say trial, but this is like an examination. I'm going for an exam. I'm taking an exam. So, James 1, 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What is he telling us to take joy in the fact that our faith is going to be examined? God cares enough about you. He cares enough about you that he is going to test your faith. Let me ask you this. How many folks in here would want to think that you believe and then get to the end and find out you didn't? And I cannot go back and change it. Wouldn't you along the way want to be tested so you are actually, that's what a test does. A test really tells you where you are. It tells you where you are. It tells you where you need to improve. It shows you where you're weak. It shows you where you're strong. So why wouldn't you want to be tested and God cares enough about us that he tests us along the way? He tests us along the way. So he's going to test you, your faith, so you can know that it is really real. So you can know that it's really real. Don't you want to know that it's real? And you know what else it does? It actually, it actually helps you to come to the place to realize that God is real. And he's doing this so we can pass the test that he has in store for us and that we can have joy in taking these tests. So James 1.3, he said, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Remember what the word no means. What does the word no mean? I done said it too many times. Everybody in here all know what it means. What does the word no mean? Intimately acquainted with. The law of first mentions. Anytime a word is mentioned, the law of first mention. Whatever is mentioned first, that is the way that word is carried throughout scripture. The law of mention. Adam did what? He knew Eve. In other words, he became intimately acquainted with her and they produced a child. So 
in order for me to count it all joy, then I have to know that the testing of my faith is actually going to produce something in my life. So what is the purpose of God's test? His purpose is to grow us. How many folk, how many folk realize you know when he, when he saved us, he's not finished? He's not finished with us. Matter of fact, he's just getting started. He, let, me, let me say this. Here's, here's our problem. Here's our problem. You know, he saves us, and for whatever reason, we, we know that we are saved. And, and, and to a certain degree, some preachers mess, mess us up. I don't mean mess us up, but mess us up. And what I mean by that is this. Okay, they tell you you're saved, and they tell you that now you have become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, I'm right. So they make it seem like salvation, everything is already done. But 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, if I'm not mistaken, it says, it says God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, listen at the words now, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, here's the thing. I am righteous. If I die, I am righteous because Jesus paid the price for it. But guess what? I am being made righteous while I'm living here on this earth. And guess what? I will be righteous completely when I leave this world. I am saved when Jesus, when I give my life to Jesus, I am being saved while I'm here on this earth, and I will be eternally saved when I leave here. So there is a righteousness that is given to us, that covers us, that is a righteousness that is being worked out in us, and there is a righteousness that we're going to live in for eternity that's genuine, real, and won't ever change. And so too often, we think that salvation is the, is the end, but it is the beginning. It's the beginning. And so you have to look at this, Philippians 1, 6, it said, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Somebody say, God is working on you. He's working. And how long is he going to work? Until Jesus comes to get us. He's going to work until Jesus comes to get us. And then you have to look at this. Salvation is a starting point. That's why Jesus compared salvation to what? Being born again. Anybody know anybody that was born grown? If you do, I don't want to see the child. I want to see the mama that had him. She's a bad girl. It's tough enough having a baby. You want to have a grown man. I want to know you. So salvation is the beginning. It's the beginning. Same thing happened when, we, when, when Jesus saved us. We're babies in him. And look, just as fast as our children grow, that's how fast we ought to grow in the Lord. And James said that's what testing is for. That's what testing is for. If you have a child and, 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 and you know, he's he, he about a year old and he's still laying up there in a blanket and it ain't moving, wouldn't you take him to the doctor? He ain't trying to sit up, ain't trying to walk. You constantly feeding this rascal and he ain't growing. Wouldn't you go see about him? Wouldn't you think something's wrong after... 
I mean, you, you, you should think something wrong after about six weeks you've been in the world because they start opening their eyes, start moving and start doing different things. They keep you up all night, but this baby's still like, man, he's still just laying there. Been six months, he ain't did nothing. Wouldn't y'all think that's not normal? So how do you think it's normal for you to be six months old and ain't did nothing? Ain't growing. Six years old, you still laying under Jesus like, waiting on him to come feed you. Doing nothing. And guess what? Don't take any effort to grow, to grow physically. All you got to do is eat, man. That's all you got to do. And let me say this. You ain't got to eat the right stuff. All you got to do is eat. If you want to grow physically, now you might be all broke up, messed up, and all your organs all tore up on the inside because you've been, you, you got a sugar diet, but you know, you will grow. You will grow. I call, I call these young folk the McDonald's generation, you know what I'm saying? They, they weren't raised on peas and greens and butter beans and cornbread and you know, all the stuff the older people used to eat. You know, they raised on McDonald's hamburger, you know, just as soon as you get about 15 minutes away from the place, you need to turn around and go back and get another one. You know what I'm saying? They ain't got no substance, don't hold you no time. I mean, I, I wonder why, how, how, how we have so many, how, many, how we have so many young folk that are tired. I mean, I, 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 go, I go up front a lot of times, and they have new people coming in, and I go up there and get them to take them to the job. And so I'm walking them. I'm, I look back, they wait. I say, hey! You 20. You're 20 years old. And I got to stop and wait on you. Go get, I mean, I guess they need to keep hamburgers in their sack, you know, so when they get about, take about 10 steps, they got to stop and eat another one. Stop and eat another one, because it don't last no time. You know? But it don't take nothing to grow physically but guess what? You gotta put some effort into growing spiritually. It's gonna take some effort. It's gonna take something from you. It's not just gonna happen like physical growth. It's not gonna just happen. You gotta do something. And so he puts them there because he knows that if they weren't there, we would do what? Just like I just said. We sit back and be spiritual babies forever. We wouldn't never be there. We wouldn't grow at all. And God won't let us do that. God is not going to let that happen. He's not going to allow you to be babies forever. Now, you know, you got some teachers, you know, they don't care if you repeat the sixth grade three times. You know, I mean, chair done got too big. You growing a beard and mustache and everything. Sitting up in the sixth grade, everybody else about this tall. You know, they, they, teachers, teachers will tolerate that. I mean, teachers, teachers will, they'll pass you on. That's what I meant to say. Teachers will pass you on. They, they, hey, if, if, if for no other reason he's too big for the chair, got to get him out. Got to get him out. But guess what? God don't care if you're 90 sitting in the sixth grade. He's not going to just pass you on. You're going to keep going through the same test. Okay? So what does growth look like? It looked like patience. As it's used in verse number two, patience means perseverance. It means endurance. It means endurance. So when I think of endurance, I automatically think about a long-distance runner. You know, the funny thing 
years. When I, every time I go to the doctor, they check my pulse rate. My pulse rate is always, I think it's always low. And they ask me, are you a runner? Runner, <laughs> do I look like a runner? I look I might look like I run to the table, or I run down the cabin these, or I run the Kentucky Fried Chicken, but I am not that kind of other runner. So, <laughs> so, so, what would happen if we decided to run a marathon after church together? Marathon, a little more than twenty-six miles. What do y'all think would happen if we said, okay, after church, we're going to run a marathon? I can tell you what's going to happen to me. Now, if, there you go, there you go. Now, see, it all depends on how you pace yourself. You know, if I do one of these, I'm just kind of barely walking, I might could make it to Frederick Rock. I might could make it to Frederick Rock. Some of y'all might make it out that door. <laughs> Some of y'all might make it down the lows. I don't know. I don't know. But why? Why? Because I have, I don't have the endurance to take it. I don't have the endurance. Now, think about what it takes for long-distance runners to build up that endurance. Think about what it takes. It takes a lot of hard training. And let, look at what the word train means. Train, that's another word for purposely afflicting pain on yourself. Now, how many people are excited about that? You're gonna purposely inflict pain on yourself. Now, all I can think about is back in the day, Y'all might not be able to tell it by looking at me now, but back in the day, I used to work out seven days a week, three or four hours a day. Every week, every week in, week out. And one day, I was getting ready to go to the gym, and I thought, I said, man, this is a part-time job that I'm not getting paid for. And you know what? I hadn't lifted a weight since. <laughs> I quit that day. Abandoned my membership. I, ain't been, I haven't been back since. Because I didn't see no point in me purposely afflicting pain on myself and not getting a check. <laughs> and so when you think about this, when you think about purposely afflicting pain on yourself and you put that in a spiritual note, how do we purposely inflict pain on ourselves and train ourselves? By resisting what is working against us. In other words, I'm gonna inflict pain on myself because I'm really scared, but I'm not gonna allow fear to stop me. So I'm gonna inflict pain on myself by facing that fear. I'm gonna inflict pain on myself by confessing God has not given me the spirit of fear, but power, love, and of a sound mind. And so, for a runner to be able to endure the race, they have to continually test their bodies to its limits. Continually. And that's the same reason that God gives us tests. That's the reason he gives us tests. He tests us to build our endurance, to increase our spiritual fitness so that we can do what? Make it. So we can make it. So we can make it to the end. 
So we won't be living a life and living a lie. Galatians 5.22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, and what? Long-suffering, endurance, gentleness, goodness, meekness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Okay? So, now, the second joyful purpose is that it promotes perfection. Now, James 1.4 says this, but let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire Wanting nothing. Now, I know everybody, the first thought of everybody say is this, you know, in, 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 in the book of Matthew, I think it is, he said, be somewhere. It says, be ye therefore perfect as he is perfect. And everybody said, ain't nobody, ain't nobody perfect but God. Ain't, ain't nobody, I can't be perfect. Okay. So, testing promotes perfection. Perfection is not what? Don't mean you're sinless. It does not mean you're sinless. He's talking about perfection in the sense of completeness, fullness. And let me say this to you. Perfection, actually in that verse, it actually means mature. It actually just simply means growing up. Growing up. And you know, it's funny how we as a people, human beings, can grow up and not be mature. Is that possible? Can you be 40 in Act 5? Because the truth of the matter is this. The truth of the matter is this. I don't throw a tantrum like they might. See, they, they fall on the floor and kick and scream. They're trying to have their way. We do it differently. We stand up and we talk and we walk properly. And we are throwing a tantrum. In other words, I'm not talking to you. I'm not speaking to you anymore. So I'm really, I might as well just get down on the floor and kick and scream. I'm throwing a tantrum and I'm trying to get my way. And let me tell you this, that is a mild, subtle form of what we call witchcraft. Man, it got quiet then. It is a, it's a subtle form of witchcraft. And I'm not going to ask how many of y'all rolled in on the broom because I don't want to know. I don't want to know. There's a bunch of witches in the house because guess what we try to do? Let me tell you what witchcraft is. Witchcraft is any time you try to use intimidation, manipulation, or any other method to alter a person's will to get them to do what you want is witchcraft. If you do it any other means other than prayer. It's witchcraft. You know how it is. You know, you know, you, you, and your, you and your wife, husband, whatever, have a disagreement. I ain't cooking today. What's she doing? She's trying to manipulate you to get what she wants by holding the food back. You know, back in the day, it might work. But now, I got a wallet, a car, and there's Burger King down the road. <laughs> so, okay. You ain't cooking? I wanted some fried chicken anyway. <laughs> it's going to work together for my good. <laughs> yeah. I didn't feel like no peas anyway, honey. Mm-mm. In other words, I'm riding on the road, and, I'm, and I got the attitude of gratitude. Thank you. Thank you for not cooking. I wanted that Big Mac 
with no pickles and that large order of fries and the sweet tea anyway. <laughs> oh, Lord. We can be grown. I'm telling you, I see it every day. I see it all day. I see folk 25 years old and, and see when you start talking to them like children, they tell you, I'm grown. Well, I like it. Get up off the floor. Quit kicking and screaming because they tell you you got work Saturday. Okay, come on. Man up. So, God told Israel, God's prophet told Israel that God was going to take them through a severe test. Now, some of, that, some of that came from punishment because they had been disobedient, but the rest of it, the overall purpose of the test was God was going to put them through. He, was going, he wanted to refine them, to make them more pure than silver or gold, to make them holy examples of who he is. And, you know, when you think about going through a test, this is God's purpose. He wants the world to see less of you and more of him. So the test is to really get rid of you. It's to get rid of you. And so he was going to send them through a test that was going to purify them. And then Zechariah chapter 13 verse 9 says, And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name, and I will hear them, and I will say, It is my people, and they shall say, The Lord is my God. And now, what I want you to see and understand is this. He said, now, he said, now he's going to put them in a fire. Now, now he put you in a, he's putting you in a test. Remember what I said in, in the beginning. I said that actually you are going to go through a test, and if you don't do your homework, God will actually put you in a fire. Put you in a fire. And what's the purpose of the fire? To make you see, to open your eyes. And you know what? The truth of the matter is, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that on, on down the road. Okay, so the only, shoot, the only way to spur us on to holiness is by putting us in the fire for a little while. Where have been your biggest times of growth? When do you grow the most? I can, I, can, I, can, I can eliminate one for you. When things are good, you're not growing. You're not growing. I've known people that were going through a difficult time. They lost their job. They don't have no money. They don't have no means or left of paying their bills. I'm going to tell you, these people wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and they are on their face seeking the Lord. They're reading the Bible like it's a brand-new book. Man, they are on it. A lot of them carry their Bibles with them. But as soon as things get good, as soon as the fire let off, guess what they do? We good. We're good. Because we want relief and not deliverance. Okay? So most of the time, the storm draws closer to him. Most of the time, the test in our lives bring us closer to completeness in him. That's what the purpose of it is. God uses fire. Let me say this to you. If you are in a fire, it's because you're not doing your homework. God is still trying to get your attention. He's still trying to work something out in you. And let me say this too. I don't know who I'm talking to, but let me say this to you. Stop doing this. Stop talking about it's them. It's him. It's her. If it wasn't for that. 
Listen to me good. If you are a child of God, if you've given your life to Jesus, let me say this to you. God is Philippians 1, 6, whatever that was. I, I, I put up that earlier. God is going to start a work in you and he's going to finish it. He's going to do that work until the day of, to day of Jesus Christ. He is going to begin a work in you. Let me say this to you. If you are going through something, stop talking about it. Stop talking about them. Stop talking about that. It is God working in you. It's God working on you. When you are in a situation where you are in a disagreement with somebody, stop don't focus on the person. Say, God, what are you trying to teach me? God uses all the little pop quizzes. What is a pop quiz? Something that just pop up that you wasn't expecting. God is using it because he's trying to get you to do what? He wants you to see you. Too often, we waste time doing this. It's it, it's them, it's that. If I had another boss, if I had another job, if I made more money, if my mama was this, if my mama had done this, if my daddy had treated me better. Quit making excuses and let God talk to you. See what he's trying to show you. Because he's trying to work something out in you. So the third one is, the third joyful purpose is, is that it wants wisdom. He said, if any of you lack wisdom, if any of you like wisdom, let him, let him ask of God. It's the, it seems like the first thing we say when we're in the middle of the test, we say what? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Who was the wisest man in the Bible? Declared to be by God, Solomon. The Bible said the Queen of Sheba came all the way from the West to sit down and hear the wisdom of this man. In other words, she came to sit down and just listen at him talk. He's so full of wisdom. Okay, can you imagine what it must have been like for Solomon in Solomon's mind when David died? And he said, here, here's the crown. You're the king. Most of us would have thought, oh boy. I know I would have. I would have put my crown on, put my royal robe on, and I would have walked down among the people. King Isaac is on the scene. I was enjoyed the thing of them bowing down. But then when a crisis came out, I'd have been like, oh God, what do we do now? <laughs> it's okay as long as everything is all right. He, he was, he, he was going to lead a, 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 a lot of people. But guess what? Some of the things that we face is just as big as being handed a crown. I just got the results of my biopsy. I don't know what to do. I just lost my job. I don't know what to do. You can fill in the blank. My dad just died. My mom just died. My friend just died. My cousin, my, whatever it may be, something just happened. I don't know what to do. You can fill in that blank. But guess what? Look at 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. He said, And now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father. But look at what he said. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. 
He said, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad for who is able to judge this thy so great a people. Solomon is overwhelmed with the test that's before him. He said, he says, I feel helpless like a little child. He said, man, I don't know whether I'm coming or going. Can you imagine that? I've been there. You know, I've been given, I remember when I first took the first job as a supervisor, I knew absolutely nothing about that job that I was taking. Nothing, except for what they made. That's all. I got over there and I started seeing little machines doing all kind of stuff and making stuff and doing, I said, oh my God. And I literally prayed, I prayed, I don't know if I told my wife this or not, but I prayed, I said, God, you got to get me out of here. I can't do this job. But I'm going to tell y'all something. This, this, is, this, is, this is my secret to success. If you want to succeed, write this down. Remember this. I'm telling you this. This is my secret to the top. This is a way to get anywhere you want to go. Every, I learned this. Everywhere, every time you walk up on a situation, learn this, that the answer is always there. You just got to look for it. You got to listen for it. So when I walked up on a situation and I didn't know what was going on, I had sense enough to be quiet, to look, and to listen. Over, over the years, over time, this is what I started doing. When I walk up on any situation, no matter where it is, when, when somebody's doing something for me, somebody's working on something, I walk up and I say, Holy Spirit, you have all the answers. You know everything. Show them. Show. And see, don't limit it to yourself. It's a lot of people. Show us what to do. And man, I'm telling you, without fail, God has done it every time. Every time. The Holy Spirit have, they'll say, oh, look at that wire right there loose. And they'll take it, put it in, everything start working again. Look at, oh, that right there is not connecting to that. And it works. It works. I'm telling you, the, the secret to success is the Holy Spirit. He knows everything. Everything. So Sol Solomon was to that place. And he, 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 he came to the place. He came before God. And he said, I can't do it. I'm overwhelmed. And I feel helpless. And a lot of times we get that way. We get in a financial situation. We get to the place where we can't do this or do that. I'm telling you, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, show me what to do. All answers are in you. You know everything. Reveal to me what I need to do. Okay? So they can make you feel confused, overwhelmed, helpless, and confused. Makes you want wisdom. It makes you want to know. It make, puts you in a place where you need to know. And this is what I was getting ready to say earlier. This is what I was getting ready to say earlier. That I said, we'll say, I say that for later. I wanted to say this. I wanted to say that everything that God allows to come in your life, he's trying to bring it in your life so that you can come to a place where you realize you can't do anything. That's the whole, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of the test. You can't fix it. You can't do it. You can't change it. You can't alter it. There's nothing in you. You remember John 15, 5. He said, I am the vine. You are the branch. And without me, you can do what? Nothing. If we were, if we were you know, people, people look at me and think I'm just being, I'm being, um, whatever, humble. 
when I say, I tell those people I go to work and I tell them, I say, I can't do this job. I said, you're doing a great job. I said, I cannot do this job. Are y'all not listening? I can't do this job. I, and I tell them, I don't know nothing about this job. I don't know nothing about this place. But the one thing I do know is the Holy Spirit knows everything. When I have a situation where two people can't get along, Holy Spirit, you know the answer to this. Show me what to do. He bring me in and I'm like Solomon. Okay, split the child in half. Then the real mother step up and say, no, 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 no. You let her have it. God give you wisdom. These tests, these trials will make you want wisdom. Make you want to know. And the only way you can know is that you got to go to God. So, getting ahead of myself. So where did Solomon go to find it? He went to the Lord. Lord gave it to him. He gave him so much. He did exceedingly, abundantly above what Solomon could ask or think because Solomon was known to the world for wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives all men liberally and he will give it to you and he will, he, he'll give it to you liberally, freely, and abundantly. Number four, the joyful purpose is that it finds faith. It finds faith. James 1.6, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. God is trying to bring us to a place where we have faith and confidence, like Marcus was saying, in nothing but him. Nothing but him. Even though he uses other people, even though he may send it through somebody, don't trust people. Trust God. He wants you to have faith in him. And that's what the test is all about, to bring you faith. Testing finds faith. Think back to Solomon when he asked God for wisdom. Where else could he turn? David was already dead. His family was already messed up. They, they, were, they were a wreck. There was no classes. Really, there was no time. I just handed you the crown. There's no time. He wasn't groomed like King Charles. He's been growing, he's 73 years old. He's been growing up in the kingdom and know how to do it. He, he's young and he's, he's now being handed the kingdom and he don't know what to do. There's no classes. And he could have said, he could have, the only, only place he'd go was God and he could, he, he, he still could have refused and not been humble enough to ask God for wisdom. Some of us don't want to ask. And let me say this to you. When you ask, don't think that it's got to come now. Don't think that the answer, it's us in time. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And if it does not come, guess what? At the end of the night, I write in my report, this is what's going on, this is what's wrong. God chose not to tell me. When they come in tomorrow, they find it. Why? I don't know. Maybe he's trying to get me to trust him to the place where I'm not worried about being fired because I can't get it to work. He's trying to, he, God is doing something all the time. He's working something. He's trying to fix something, change something. So he could have determined to go it alone. I'm the man. Could have said, I'm the man. He could have did it the best he could. But he didn't for that one moment in his life. <coughs> Turned off his pride and he looked to God in faith. He looked to God in faith. And it looked like when Solomon prayed, you know, 
too often we look at these stories and we look at this stuff and we see where people pray and then it looked like stuff mysteriously, magically happened. And sometimes it will happen that way. But guess what? It don't always happen that way because look, in Mark chapter 9, the Bible tells about a man who had a demon-possessed son. Everybody know about it. He had tried to heal him. The disciples had tried to heal him and the man was facing a terrible trial. But guess what? The boy was throwing himself in the fire and if he wasn't burning himself, he was trying to drown himself. What a horrible thing for this man to be in. Awful test for him to be in. But guess what? The greatest words ever spoken. But then came Jesus. Mark 29 records, and straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And you know what? You know, a lot of people look at that and say, you know, man, the man really didn't believe. But yes, he did. Because think about it. His child is throwing himself in the fire and throwing himself in the water. And he come to the disciples. And the disciples can't do anything. And then he, he looked at Jesus. He believed. He had to believe. He had to hear about him and believe. So Jesus healed the boy. But guess what? All of our tests, hear me good, all of our tests do not have a happy ending. Everybody that's sick is not going to be healed. Every situation is not going to be fixed the way you think it's going to be. You know, I, I, think, I think back to when my, when my daddy was laying in ICU and, 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 and God had spoke to my wife before we left home and said he wasn't coming out of the hospital. And this lady, that was my, aunt, my uncle, my, my, my daddy's cousin's wife, she kept saying, go in there and read scriptures to him. Y'all giving up. Y'all not, not being aggressive enough. Go in there and read the Bible to him. Let me tell you something. If God said you ain't going to make it, you can, you can open his mouth and stuff the, stuff the Bible in him. Not going to save him. Same way with my brother. I, I, when my brother was sick, I, I walked every night for 30 minutes to an hour and prayed for my brother. If faith could save my brother, my brother would have been saved. Every situation is not going to turn out the way we want it to. It's not going to work out. But don't think that God is unfaithful when it don't. Because guess what? He, chooses, he chose not to remove the thorn from your flesh. He chose not to remove it from Paul's flesh. And whether he resolved the test the way you want him to or not, he knows what he is doing. And what he does is the best for that moment, for that time, and for you. So, test you to produce patience, to promote perfection, to make you want wisdom, and so that you'll find faith. That, the fact is that every one of us, every one of us is going to go through some kind of test if you live long enough. And the question is, how are you going to pass those tests? I can tell you right now, without Jesus, there's no hope. There's no hope of you passing the test. Without Christ, if you try to do it without him, there's no hope. Because really, that's the first and biggest test of all. God's question is this, what are you going to do with my son? What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with him? And see... Let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me see if it's on this screen. No, it's not on this screen. Okay. 
So have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior this morning? That's the screen I want. Have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior? Now notice that I have two words up there. I know everybody has trusted in him as Savior, but the question is, have you trusted him as Lord? See, everybody want to be saved. Don't nobody want to die and go to hell. And everybody want him as Savior. But the question is, do you want him as Lord? What does the word Lord mean? The, Lord, the word Lord means owner. The word Lord means boss. The word Lord means he, I do what he tells me to do. The word Lord means I'm not living for my own self. I'm living for him. The word Lord means I, not my will, but thy will, O oh God, be done. That I'm willing to surrender my will for his will. See, a lot of us don't trust him as Savior but not Lord. And if, he's, if, he, if he isn't, you're on your own. Lonely place, a helpless place. And I wouldn't leave you here this morning without trusting Jesus as my what? Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. And if you find yourself unable to do that this morning, I would ask you to pray that same prayer, that simple, simple prayer that that father with the demon-possessed son prayed. He prayed a simple prayer. He said to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And if you ask, you will receive. And I'm asking you to ask him today. Today. And like I say, there's a lot of people that have, believed, that have received him as Savior, but not acknowledged him as Lord. He not only wants to save you, he wants to lead you. He has to lead you. He has to be able to instruct you and tell you what to do, when to do, how to do in order for you to survive. So I'm telling you, ask this, pray this simple prayer. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. No matter what you're dealing with, what you're going through, what you're facing. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let us pray. As we pray. As we pray, consider your situation, consider what you're dealing with, what you're going through, what you're facing. And as you consider it, I want you to consider this simple prayer. Very simple. Lord, I believe. Help mine unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help mine unbelief. Because if you're dealing with that situation and you've been dealing with it for a while, a long period of time, there has to be some doubt and some unbelief there. So, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. In other words, I'm falling short, but I need you to help me. So, Lord, as your people call out to you and as they cry out to you, I'm asking you right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Meet us where we are. Meet us where we are. Help us in that weak spot. Help us in that weak place. Help us in the area where we're doubting. Help us in the area where we're fearful. Help us in the area where we're lacking wisdom and we don't know. I know that it is your will that we pass the test. I know that you're in the midst of it speaking to them. Lord, if they have not heard you, if they have not obeyed what they heard, I pray that you will speak that same thing to them again. Speak the same thing to them again that they need to hear your voice, that direction that will change the course of their lives, that will change the situation and circumstance that they face. Help them today. And Lord, we just bless you. We praise you. We worship you. We honor you. We thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure you subscribe and share with someone you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries.